in my dysfunctional family. Everybody say me and my dysfunctional family. Now, I know that's some hard for some families to admit because you want everybody to think that your family has it all together. But in reality, none of us have it all together. In reality, there is some dysfunctionality in the midst of all of our families. Let's go to the book of Genesis, chapter number uh, three, uh, chapter number two. I'm sorry, chapter number two. And we're going to read uh, a couple of verses of scripture because I, we start this when we dealt with Jacob as he wrestled with the angel all night and he wouldn't turn him loose until he blessed him. And when the angel asked Jacob, what was his name? We who study that know that Jacob's name meant schemer or cheater. And I told you that that scheming and that cheating mindset or that dysfunctionality, and that type of person didn't just start with Jacob. It started with his family. It started with the first family, Adam and Eve. Right. So Genesis chapter number two. And let's take a look at uh, the 21st verse of that second chapter. And we're going to move forward today. OK, me and my dysfunctional family. The Bible says this. So the Lord calls the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. The text says, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. The text says, at last, the man exclaimed, this is one. This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Text says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united in Two, one. Next verse says what? Uh, now the man and his woman were both naked, but they felt no shame. Now, again, when God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, there was no dysfunctionality there. When they were naked and not ashamed, that means that were, they were in the age of innocence. But you all that study your Bible know that we, when we roll into this third chapter, we see where the enemy, Satan, Beelzebub, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him, slipped in and began to challenge, amen, what God had told Adam and Eve. And I told you that dysfunctionality comes from uh, the enemy. Dysfunctionality comes from us living in a fallen and a sinful world. Let's go back just by way of definition so we can know what that big word means. Amen. It's real simple. The definition in your outline, in your notes, we had the definition of dysfunction means not operating normally or properly. Everybody say not operating normally or properly. How many of y'all would, would care to admit or would be free in saying, you know, pastor, sometimes my family don't, don't operate normally or properly. Anybody in the house? My family doesn't operate normally or properly. Sometimes we got some stuff going on. I told you the synonym for dysfunction or trouble. How many of y'all family been troubled before? How many of you have been distressed before? How many of you have been unsettled? I mean, this pandemic has caused a lot of our families to be unsettled, a little fearful, upset. How many of y'all have been upset before? How many of y'all have been distraught before? Unbalanced, unstable, disordered, maladjusted, neurotic, emotionally confused, unhinged, mixed up. My last one I like, messed up. Amen. We have some messed up stuff going on in our families, guys. And God is saying, I want to make sure that you understand how to get that corrected, because if he's going to use the family to transform the world, because he's going to use the family to help transform the church and let the church transform the world, we got to get our stuff together. Look at your neighbor and say, get yourself together. Hallelujah. So dysfunction, dysfunction. So, so we define also family. Let's go back to family. Let's make sure we understand what I mean when I say family. The first definition of family is a group of one or more parents and their children living together as a unit. Family, traditional, normal family. Number two, we have all the descendants of a common ancestor. It's known as a family. All the descendants of a common ancestor. And I told you on last week, all of us, no matter what our ethnicity is, Every last one of us who are living on this earth came from Adam and Eve. Let me say it again. All of us come from a common ancestor, and that's Adam and Eve. So that means that all of us are what? Family. And so the third one is a group of related things. A group of related things. Now again, we started out in innocence, but the enemy comes in 
and it begins to mess with the mind of Eve, who in turn messed with the mind of the husband. Let me say it again. He came in and messed with the mind of Eve and then who in turn messed with the mind of a husband. Does that happen in life even still today? Watch this. Watch this. Satan's, I told you, Satan's plans for dysfunction is number one, he calls you to doubt. He makes you question God's word and his goodness. So that's what happened in the Garden of Eden. She questioned. She doubted what God had told her. And that's how Satan slips dysfunction in. Not only that, but he brings discouragement. Amen. He makes you look at your problems rather than at God. If the enemy can get us to focus on all the problems and take our eyes off of God's word, he'll have us operating in a dysfunctional fashion. He'll have us doing things that are not normal. He'll have us doing things that are not in line with the way he created us, folks. Glory to God. So, so discouragement makes you look at your problems rather than at God. Third thing we said was he, he, he brings dysfunction by bringing diversion. Make the wrong things seem attractive so that you will want them more than the right things. Anybody in your life before you've been walking with the Lord and sometimes something that is wrong starts to look attractive to you. Something that's wrong starts to look attractive to you. Amen. So he makes the wrong things seem attractive so that you will want them more than the right things. The next thing he does is he brings defeat because he uses defeat. He makes you feel like a failure so that you don't even try. And lastly, he causes, he brings delay, makes you put off doing something so that it never gets done. I'm going to share with you something. On this past Friday night, a good friend of mine, Scott Patton, had called and talked to me. He's actually my primary care physician. And we have a lot of in-depth conversation when I go get myself checked out annually. And and we talk a lot about race relations and and what that means. As a matter of fact, he's, he, 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 he had, uh, several years ago adopted a biracial child and, uh, and it's really in his heart to 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 get to 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 understand and to help the church become front and center on solving this racial issue that is permeating throughout our society and has been for 400 plus years. And, and so through that relationship, we had a, an awesome uh, prayer time and a challenge time on this past Friday night and Christians coming together to be at the forefront and to, to help solve what's happening in the world. Because it is a spiritual problem, guys. I'm here to tell you it's a spiritual problem. And, and until we learn that that's how it's going to be solved and not through politics, we'll never get the issue uh, dealt with. But through that, people were inspired to go forth and say, I'm going to build a relationship with somebody who doesn't look like me. I'm going to be willing to have, amen, a crucial conversation. I'm going to be willing to, to look at, start looking at life through the prism of God's word rather than through my ethnicity. Can I get a witness? And I think that's what it takes. It takes the church stepping up and saying, that is wrong. All sin is wrong. The sin of racism is just as wrong as the sin of abortion. All sin is wrong, and we got to deal with it up front and, 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 and intentionally. Now, we talked about the fact, guys, that, that Adam and Eve, amen, uh, went from being normal, the way God operated, to being dysfunctional. And, and again, uh, I think there's three things. How did Adam and Eve uh, break their relationship with God? First of all, they became uh, convinced that their way was better than God's way. And any time in life, when you start thinking you got it, you, you're smarter than God. And how many of y'all know man tends to think that from time to time? Here's how you can tell if you're thinking you're smarter than God. When God's word says this, but you say that. Or I'm feeling this. Pastor, I know what you said, but I just don't know. I just, I just, I don't trust nobody. Well, listen, if God's word says do this, build a relationship, amen. If God's word says go and love your neighbor as yourself, then we don't, if we're going to operate according to his will, then we don't have a choice. We can't go with what we feel. We got to go with what we know. And anytime you go with what you feel and what you think versus what the revelatory word of God is, then now what you said is, God, I'm smarter than you. God, I know better than you. God, my experiences tell me this. I know what you said, but, but Pastor, you just don't know like I know. I lived with that man for all these years, and, 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 and you just don't know. Listen, do it God's way. When you choose to go against God's word, what you're saying, God, I think I know a little bit more than you know. Watch this. Let's go to Isaiah 55 and 9 with me right quick. Isaiah 55 and 9. And I got to share some things with you guys because I believe God... He's trying to get this church, amen, to realize that he's called us to be on, on the front edge, on the front line. He's called us 
to be trendsetters, not trend followers. He's called us to be a people of God who understands our spiritual heritage and understand the family of God that we come from and be proactive in letting that word get out, amen, in front of us and we live our lives by this. Look at what the text says in Isaiah 55, verse number 9. Can we read together? It says what? For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. What God is letting us know through the, through the pro- prophetic voice of Isaiah is, is that God's ways are much higher than ours. He sees stuff that we don't even see. His ways are much higher than our ways. Go to the next verse with me right quick. Let's read that one. Uh, For the rain and the snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. Next verse, read. And it is the same way with my word. Watch what God says about his word. He says, I send it out And it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to. And it will prosper everywhere I send it. So God says, first of all, my word, my thoughts are much higher than your thoughts. And my ways are much higher than your ways. And when I send my word out, I watch over and I perform it. And if you learn how to follow my word instead of following your feelings, then you begin to, 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 to rid yourself of the dysfunctionality that's going on in your life and in your family's life. Can I get a witness today? So, so, but Adam and Eve, they became convinced that their way was better than God's way, and obviously it was not. They became self-conscious and they hid. And I told you before, if you hide it, he can't heal it. Amen? If you hide it, he can't heal it. Jacob, once he admitted to the angelic being that I'm a cheater and I'm a schemer, then now God says, I'm going to change your name. How many of y'all need a name change? Anybody out there known for something that you don't want to be known for? And you need a name change. Anybody there, anybody known for something? And, 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 and you want to be changed? See, listen, when you look, when you first of all admit it and come clean with God and be transparent to him, then now God can heal you. But as long as you're pretending like everything is okay, as long as you're pretending like you don't have a, a, any prejudice or racism in your body, he can't heal you. Because you think, Ain't nothing wrong with you. How many of y'all live with folks or, or know people in your family who don't think anything wrong with them? Oh, y'all don't want to talk to me this morning. Come on now. I know it's been a long time since we met, but I got somebody online who say, Pastor, I know exactly what you're talking about. I got some, and maybe, well, maybe you're the person in the family. Maybe you're the one that don't know that you really throw it off a little bit. Guys, listen to me carefully. We got to get to the point to where we recognize and be honest with God. And say, God, deal with me. I'm going to admit where I am so that you can deal with me. So, so, so when we look at this, they, they became self-conscious here. But, but if, if you're going to hide it, he can't heal it. And third thing is they try to excuse and defend themselves. See, if you're ever going to get rid of the dysfunctionality in your life and in your family's life, you got to stop making excuses as to why you are the way you are. So in order to build a relationship with God, we got to reverse those steps. We got to stop making excuses, stop defending ourselves, stop being, stop stop hiding our stuff, and then we got to we got to we got to realize that God's way is better than our way. Again, but let, let me let me dig a little bit deeper here, because family members are different. Now again, let's go back. Remember, we said family is a group of one or more parents and their children living together as a unit. We also said family is all the descendants of a common ancestor. All of us come from Adam and Eve. And when we're part of the church family, we're part of God. Listen, all of us are part of the same family. We're part of the human race. And so as a result, we have some obligation to each other. Now watch this, watch this. Family members are different. We know that, correct? Can we, can we be honest? We got different people in our family who operate differently, do things differently. Now, I told you that there are differences in every type of family and four things that we can that four things we can do in view of our differences. I told you on last week, number one, recognize the differences. Your spouse is just not just like you. And thank God they're just not, not like you because y'all need to compliment one another. Right. They're not recognize the difference. And we say work to understand the differences, learn to appreciate the differences and fourthly utilize the differences. The truth is we are designed by God and sovereignly brought together to complement one another, guys. Amen. And we need each other instead of complaining about the differences. 
we should pull together and take advantage of our God-given uniqueness. Remember over in 1 Corinthians 12 chapter, when God begins to talk about spiritual gifts. Go there right quick, 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. Look at that right quick, because all of us have been gifted. Amen? All of us have been uh, uh, endowed by God with spiritual giftings that are needed to help build the body of Christ. Glory to God. Are you still with me today? Talk about me and my dysfunctional family. Hallelujah. Me and my dysfunctional family. He says this in verse number four of first Corinthians chapter number 12. He says there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. Verse number five says what? There are different kinds of service, but we serve what? The same Lord. Okay. Next verse says what? Uh, God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. Next verse. Let's go. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can do what? Help each other. You have giftings that I need and I have giftings that you need. We that are part of body of Christ. We we have giftings that can help each other get better. And he goes on talking about how, you know, you know, we all are part of the same body. And you read the rest of that chapter. He begins to tell us that we, you know, none of us have the same giftings. I mean, per se, but we all have to operate in our, in our individual areas to help make the body better. Now, but Pastor, why are you why are you why are you talking about that? Because one of the things I think that's 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 causing dysfunctionality in our families of origin, that's causing dysfunctionality in our church, that's causing dysfunctionality in this nation is that we don't know how to appreciate our differences. Now, watch, I, I, I want you all to go with me right quick. Let's go to uh, Acts, the sixth chapter, because when we fail to deal with our differences effectively. It can cause problems in the family. Acts, the sixth chapter. Watch this right quick. Verse number one, we're going to begin our reading at verse number one. Glory to God. And, and, and as we get here, guys, li- listen to me carefully. The book of Acts actually presents a history uh, of the early church. And by the time that we get to this passage here that we that we're getting ready to read, the church was exploding in growth. They were experiencing exponential growth. And here we see the author, Dr. Luke, the physician, documenting a conflict that arose within the ranks of the church. Now, notice carefully here uh, the terms he used. Verse number one says what? But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek speaking believers complained about the Hebrew speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily food distribution. All right. The KJV says the Grecians and the Hebrews. Mark that. I got to come back to that. Next verse says what? Uh, So the 12 called the meeting of all the believers. They said we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God. Not what? Not run the food program. Next verse says what? And so brothers and sisters select seven men who are well respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Now watch this. Watch this. Luke is clear that there was a clash going on between these two groups. Scholars agree that the Grecians and the Hebrews were both Jews ethnically. Everybody say ethnically. So so what was Luke getting at when he called some Jews Grecians or some translations say Hellenists? Okay. What was he getting at when he was called some Jews Grecians and the other Jews Hebrews. Well, Luke was dealing with the issue of culture. Hear me carefully. He was dealing with the issue of culture. Let's dig a little deep here. What is Grecians? What does it mean to be a Grecian or a, a Hellenist? Because that's what he says, Greeks. Let's go back to the first verse. He says, uh, verse, verse number uh, one says, from the KJV, let's go to the KJV, he says, And in those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Well, when we look at that, Grecians is actually, or Hellenism, or Grecian, the Grecians meant that it was a spread of the Greek culture throughout the world at that time. The ruler Alexander the Great was not just interested in acquiring land and kingdoms, he wanted to inject Greek culture. Everywhere he went. 
And so as a result, he encouraged his soldiers whenever they conquered the territory. Don't just conquer it, but let's begin to interject Greek culture everywhere we go. Every land, every city, every kingdom that we conquer, we want to infiltrate them with Greek culture. And so that's why it's also why Alexander the Great set up libraries all over the world because he wanted Greece not just to be a place, but he wanted to be a culture. And so when Luke talked about the Grecians, he was talking about ethnic Jews who embraced Greek culture. Listen to that again. He was talking about ethnic Jews who embrace Greek culture. They look Jewish, but they act a Greek. Are you following me today? They ate non-kosher food like baby back ribs. Hello, somebody. They named their kids Greek names. They spoke Greek and they adopted Greek practices in how they dress and where they hung out. And, and guys, this is important to note because sociologists point out that, that within every ethnicity exists at least three cultures. I need y'all to follow me here. Sociologists tell us that within every ethnicity, there exists at least three cultures with many variations going on. First of all, I'm going to call the first one culture one. Culture one is, is defined as people within a certain ethnic group who have assimilated into another ethnic group. Are you with me today? In the text in the book of Acts chapter number six, these were Grecians. They were ethnic Jews who had assimilated into Greek culture. They start acting Greek. They start talking Greek. OK. Uh, and then uh, then then you had on the other extreme, you got the, those who were assimilated into that culture. But you on the other stream, you had you had those what I'm going to call culture number three. You got culture one, this extreme, culture three, this extreme on that culture number three. There are people within the ethnic group who absolutely refuse to assimilate within other ethnic groups or culture. Because you can have somebody who has the same ethnic group or same skin tone, but different culture. Y'all know that, right? As a matter of fact, how many of y'all remember the Beverly Hillbillies? Can you, Jake, if you can run that right quick. Let's, let, how many of y'all remember this song here, the Beverly Hillbillies? Anybody remember that? Listen to my story about a man named Come on. Poor Mountaineer. Friend. And then one day he was shooting. And up through the All that is. Black gold. Texas Tea. Watch this. Well, the first thing you know, old Jeb's a millionaire. Jet, move away from there. Heels, it is. How many of y'all remember that? How many of y'all remember that? All right. Now, I got some young folks in here looking at me like, I ain't never heard of Beverly Hillbillies. But how many of y'all have heard of this one? This next one. See, we're talking about culture. Listen. Same ethnicity, different culture. Here, Billy. Bel Air. Listen. How many of y'all young folks remember that? All right, you can cut it up. <laughs> Listen, I showed you those two things because in the first one, the Beverly Hillbillies, you had some country folks going to the ritzy part of the L.A. metropolitan area. Jed Clampett, Granny, Jethro Bodine. They had the same ethnicity, but guess what? They were different than Mr. Drysdale, KD. Mr. Drysdale was the banker. And in, and, and, and in Beverly Hills, they did life differently than they did where Jed Clapper came from. On that second one, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air was uh, the, the, the guy who played by Will Smith came from the hood in Philly. And he went to Bel Air to stay with his uncle and his auntie. And guess what? Same skin color. But how much you know that was a different culture? Why was it that Will... And Carlton couldn't get along all the time. Why were they arguing all the time? Different culture. Will was still trying to be Philly Hood. And Carlton was Bel Air pretty and proper. Am I the only one that watched that show? So you had the same ethnicity, but guys, 
different culture. So you had some, see, now let me ask you a question. Uh, which one was Carlton? Was he C1 or C3 culture? C, C, C1 is you assimilate. You become like the culture you're in. C3 is, is, is the folks that, now, man, I'm keeping it real. I don't care how much money I got. Hello? Carlton was the one who was assimilated into the Bel Air, uh, into the Bel Air culture. Will was the one who had trouble. He was still trying to keep it the way it was from the place he came from. So God, what am I trying to say? See, sometimes in this life and even in this church, we got to realize that there'll be times when we have differences that are based not on even ethnicity, but on our cultural upbringing. Go to Philippians, the third chapter. Listen, listen to what Paul says. And here's the problem that we have. Philippians chapter three. And we're going to start out reading at verse number two. See, now that I'm born again. If I'm really following the word of God, then I got to I got to learn how to transcend my cultural upbringing. To allow God's way of doing things to override that. Watch this. In Philippians chapter three, verse number two, let's read together. It says what? Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be what? Who say you must be circumcised in order to be saved. Is that what is it? Now, the, the, you had these uh, people who were still trying to hang on to Judaism, who were still trying to say, OK, we were natural born Jews. And so now we have uh, some Samaritans and some Gentiles who are coming to the faith and we want them to be circumcised like like us Jews were under the old covenant. Let's keep reading here because Paul's going to say something that's, that's really profound. And I need you to listen to this because we will never solve our issue as a church if we don't understand how we are supposed to embrace what God wants us to embrace rather than allowing our cultural norms to dominate what we embrace. Look at what the text says. For we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Who's writing this text, y'all? The Apostle Paul is. He's writing to the what? We already studied this book. We just got through finishing studying. He's talking to the church at Philippi. He says, though I could have confidence, watch, watch him here. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Now, Paul, get ready to tell you his history. He's getting ready to give you his resume, his spiritual resume. Watch what he says here. Don't miss this. Paul says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. A real Hebrew, if there ever was one. The KJV says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. Look at the next verse. Let's read this. It says, I was so zealous that I, harsh, I harshly persecuted the church and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. This is Paul talking about his cultural. Okay? Watch what it says here. Next verse. I once thought these things were what? Valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Guys, in that fifth verse there, Paul dealt with both his ethnicity and his culture. When he said that he was of the people of Israel, he was referring to the fact that he was a Jew. He was pointing to his ethnicity. But when Paul said he was a Hebrew of Hebrews in the KJV, he was dealing with culture, guys. He was saying he used to be a C3. He, he used to be the guy that, that says, I'm keeping it real. He was, he was the guy that says, I'm not going to change, amen, nothing about where I came from because that's why I identify myself. Are y'all tracking with me today? Paul was saying all of that, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, but guess what he said later on? He says, all of that stuff, I counted as nothing for the cause of Christ. I'm not identifying myself by my cultural upbringing anymore. And I, he knows where he's come from, but that doesn't dominate how he thinks about life. Can I get a witness? And so, so again, <laughs> uh, when you look at the, uh, 
a lot of a lot of us have trouble because we can't understand and appreciate those differences. But Paul is saying is that even though you're the same color, you still can have cultural differences. We saw that on the Beverly Hillbillies. We saw that on the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Same ethnicity, but different cultural upbringing, and it, it caused differences. It caused a, a a not coming together to take place. So what 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 is what is God saying? God is saying to us as a church that that just like the Apostle Paul, Paul says, I got all those credentials. But for the cause of Christ, I lay all that stuff down. And see, that's how we come together on the common ground. In other words, your, your new birth, hear me carefully. Now this, and I, I pray that y'all hear me carefully. Your new birth in Christ should trump your original birth. Birth. Your original birth. Your new birth in Christ should take precedent over your family of origin. How you view life should come from the prism of God's word and not from your family upbringing and from your life experiences. Can I get a witness? So, so, so if, if, if we're going to, if we're going to f- solve our dysfunctionality, because we all, I mean, listen, we all come from the same uh, parents, Adam and Eve, but as we matriculate down through life's history, we got to understand that there is something going on that needs to be addressed. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, it's got to start day with the church. The church has to get our thinking right. The Bible tells us, go, go to Romans, the 12th chapter, verse number two with them right quick from the NLT. Romans chapter number 12, verse number two. Glory to God. Watch what he says here. Can we read it out loud and on purpose? Let's go. So, what? Don't copy the behavior and custom of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Watch this. How is God going to transform us into a new person? By doing what? Changing the way you think. So if you are allowing your culture to dominate how you think, you will push God out the way. Hello? Or if you're trying to make everybody be like the Grecians, in other words, okay, I know you're different, uh, you come from a different ethnicity, but I want you to assimilate into my culture. Hello? Or if you're over on the, all the way to the right side saying, this is my culture, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, I don't care what happened. Listen, I'm going to stay this way, I'm going to eat my, I'm going to have the same dietary restriction, and, and nothing going to change me, even the Holy Spirit was not going to change me. And that's what some people are. And those differences are now causing heartache and angst in the body of Christ. Watch what he says. Don't copy the behavior and custom of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and what? And perfect. Now watch this. Watch this. So what are you saying, Brother Pastor? What I'm saying is, is that if we as a body of believers are going to take the lead in this race thing and bringing the family together, we're going to have to realize that, that, that we can't be a C3. By that I mean, you can appreciate your culture, but don't let your culture dominate your thinking. Let God transform the way you think, amen, by using his word to direct your thinking. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 with me right quick. Are y'all still tracking with me today? Now this may be tough for somebody because you, you have to say, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. And I'm black and I'm proud. But my blackness is not what's driving my theology. Can I get five amens out there in the audience? Can I get five amens online? My blackness does not drive my theology. The word of God drives my theology. And I'm going to speak to some, some people who are listening to me who, who think that, 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 that you're superior based whether you're white or black based on your skin tone. You are thoroughly confused. You are thoroughly confused. Whether you're white supremacist or black Hebrew Israelite, thinking that all that stuff you're thinking, that is not God's will. Amen? Watch this, watch this. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter, I think it's 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Are y'all still with me? My, my, my. Thank you, Jesus. 
Let's look at, uh, I'll tell you what, let's, let's do second Tim. First, go to first Timothy right quick. I'm going to look at this right quick now. I'll go to the, the, the next verse. First Timothy chapter number three. Look at verse number, number 16. This talks about how Jesus Christ, I mean, how God was manifesting the flesh. And this is important because, see, Paul even said this on one occasion. He says, we no longer know Christ according to the flesh. In other words, when we talk, when we talk about Christ, he's not a Jewish carpenter to us. Because we don't know him according to the flesh any longer. We know him according to the spirit. And so if we know him according to the spirit, that means that it his ethnicity ceased to be it, it, just from, from a historical standpoint. It's good to know. But just because he was a Jew don't mean anything when it comes to saving us. Watch. Watch what the text says. Here. It says what? Without question. This is what? The great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed. What? In a human body. And vindicated by what? By the spirit. He was seeing what? By the angels. And what? Announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world. And taken to heaven in glory. God himself poured out of himself. To be born in a manger in Bethlehem. To come and to die on the cross of Calvary. So that whosoever will. Can come into a personal relationship with him. Regardless of our background regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of our culture, all who will come and call upon the name of the Lord shall be and can be saved. Are y'all with me today? So, but God uses his word to get us there because uh, he said in another passage, I think Paul was writing to Timothy, he talks about the fact that he used the word to transform us. He used the word to tell us what's right and what's wrong. Now, let's go to these next points I got for you in, in my time left, and I want to share this with you because there are seven foundational commitments that we need in order to have family success. And we're going to talk about Jacob's family on next week. We're going to go back and look at whenever we got to the point to where Abraham and Sarah were, were given a promise by God. They were given a promise by God that they were going to have a son. But there was still dysfunctionality in the family. Come on now. There was still dysfunctionality in the family. How many of y'all know it's dysfunctional if your wife come to you and say, I can't have no baby, but I tell you what, go, go get our servant girl. You can go sleep with her. I want to I know how many, with that fly today in the year 2020. But in an effort, come on now. Some of y'all look at me like, bro, pastor, don't even, don't even open your mouth to say that. That's what can happen, guys. When you get your eyes off of what God's word promised you. Sarah, because it was considered to be shameful for a woman in those days not to be able to birth a child, particularly not to be able to birth a son. So she tried to hook it up. She tried to fix it up, tried to help God out and quit trying to help God out. You just trust God and do what he tell you to do. Amen. Now watch this. Seven foundational commitments for family success. Let's, let's watch this right. So the first one is the commitment of self, selflessness. If we're going to deal with dysfunctionality in our families of origin, in our marriages, in our church families, and in this nation that we live in, in this world that we live in, we got to have a commitment to selflessness. Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all consider yourself sometimes to be selfish? If you don't raise your hand, lightning going to strike you dead right now. Because all of us, at some point in time, can be selfish. I don't like it, uh, uh, but they, my wife tell me I'm being selfish. I deny it. Anybody else in the house? I'll deny it. But you know, a lot of times, if I'm really honest about it, I can be selfish. Because selfishness means that I want to focus only on what's good for me and what I want. Without regard for her or how it's going to impact somebody else. The commitment to selflessness. That's the first thing we got to get into. We live in a selfish age. And to be honest with you guys, it's the attitude of selfishness that's behind most families' dysfunction. God's word offers us a different and better way. Go, go back with me to Philippians chapter number two. Look at that third and fourth verse again. Philippians chapter number two, verse three and four. We covered this when we studied this book. Everybody say me and my 
dysfunctional family. Guys, we get, we're trying to get this thing right. Family and all, as we talk about family, we're talking about the whole gamut. From our family of origin to our church family to the family of, of, of the human race to us, the family of Americans who are born in this country. We got to get this right. He says, don't be what? Selfish. Don't try to do what? Impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Now, how many of y'all go around with this attitude right here? Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and he's telling the church, don't be selfish. Why is he telling the church, don't be selfish? Because there's a tendency for the church to be selfish. Now, when I say church, guys, I am not talking about the organization. I'm talking about you and I, the organism, you and I who are part of the body in Christ. We are the church. It's been two and a half months since we met in this church building. But you were the church wherever you were. And I think there is something significant in what God is trying to teach us through this whole process. Too many of us got stuck on thinking the church was all about coming here. And God is saying, I've been trying to get you to understand that I need you to go there. I need you to be the church. Wherever you are. Are y'all with me today? And so whether it's in your homes, on your job, uh, in your neighborhood, in the grocery store, he needs us to be the church. But it says don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others is better than yourself. Next verse is what? Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Verse 4, let's read. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had KJV says let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus so we got to have the same mind that Christ has so but that, that calls for a commitment to selflessness Christ did not think it to be a major thing to to give up his position amen in heaven with the father to come down to be born in the manger in Bethlehem he gave up the privileges of deity He was always fully God and fully man, but he gave up the privileges of deity to come down here to be born in a manger in Bethlehem so you and I could have a right to have a personal relationship with the God who created the heavens and earth. You ought to tell Jesus, thank you. Hallelujah. So the commitment to, if we're going to, if we're going to deal with this dysfunction that's, that's robbing our families of, 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 of a a life of happiness and fulfillment, we got to first of all commit to being selfless. Commitment to selflessness. The second thing is we need the, the commitment of unconditional love. Unconditional love. Our world speaks of love based on feelings. Y'all know that. A love that comes and goes. God, however, calls us to love each other with no strings attached. And this kind of love is supernaturally inspired. It's called agape love. You can't do agape love in your own strength. I'm, I'm here to tell you right now, you can't love somebody unconditionally trying to do it in your own strength. It does not work. Amen. Remember John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he did what? Gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but should have what? Everlasting life. Unconditional love. Think about the, I want y'all just for a second, think about the marriage vows you took. And and, and you probably wasn't wasn't thinking real clearly when you made them. A lot of us wasn't. Uh, You said for better or for worse. You said for richer or for poor. Now, some of y'all left the train when the worst came around, didn't you? Come on. You said for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. That's what you said. We stood at the altar. See, that's, that's an unconditional love. But most people, most individuals, when standing there at the altar, aren't really thinking about the negative side of those promises. Come on now. You're not thinking about the negative side of those promises, but it's only this kind of committed love can see a marriage successfully through the rough times of life. It's got to be unconditional. It's got to be agape. You can have, <laughs> you can have a phileo friendship. You ought to be friends. You can have epithumia sex. You ought to have sex in a marriage, right? In marriage, in marriage, in marriage, in marriage, in marriage, in marriage. You want to have some some arrows, some romance, right? You want to have storge, a, a sense of family belonging, security. 
But the one that you surely cannot, amen, successfully have a, the family that, 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 that honors God is when you don't have agape love abiding on the inside of you. I'm going to tell you something. Um, uh, Mareri and I, and I, I'll share it with you. Y'all heard my, our testimony. We were telling some, some people the other day, we were sharing with them uh, that uh, it's only through agape love that we're still here today. It's only through agape love that, that you got Pastor Doyle Adams and First Lady Mareri Adams in this church today. I'm here to tell you, because those first two years of our marriage, we, didn't, we weren't allowed, we, 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 we were not anything real nice. We were saved, but not real nice to each other. Anybody been there before? Mareri and I, were, we, were, uh, we were coming back uh, yesterday. I, I, uh, the, my, my defensive back coach uh, who coached me at losing a tech passed away. So we, we went over there yesterday for the funeral. Uh, and, and we just took our time getting back. We, we took the, the scenic route back, Brother Dwayne. We, we rolled through Dubach. <laughs> Came through Dubach and Lisbon and Homer and went to Haynesville. And, and, and the whole time we were there reminiscing, we rode around the tech campus. Uh, pointing out different places that we 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 we've been to, and um, and just just reminiscing, talking about some of the things you know uh, that came to my mind. You know, we I remember the piano room. We we, we would go, and I I was taking a piano class, a music class. and Maria was already playing music, and so I would tell her every now and then, "Hey, I'm going to the piano room to practice," and she would come over to the piano piano room and, and, and watch me practice a little bit. And sometimes we you know we yeah we we practice quite a, quite a bit in the piano room, you know, and so. Um, and and why y'all laughing? What's wrong with y'all? We, I just said I'm going to the piano room. She'd come and then we would practice. But that's that my way of seeing her, getting her to come see me, okay? And so we, we, we went and we walked, we even drove by the first place that we, the, our first apartment building down Barnett Springs Road. You know what it is, Dwayne. Down Barnett Springs Road. And um, it looks a little bit different now than it did when we first, we first moved in there. But we were just reminiscing as we went through. We talked about some old times. And then we started talking about how, how those first two years of marriage, if, 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 if agape love wasn't there, we wouldn't be together right now. Because there, there were some things that we went through that, that we, just, we were being selfish. She wanted it her way. I wanted my way. And, and because it was the first time us living together with somebody else, it just was not. I mean, it wasn't nice. Until we start putting the word of God on our marriage. So so you better thank God for agape love. If you thank God for me being here, because I wouldn't be here as your pastor. Probably she wouldn't be here as your first lady had not agape love abided in the middle of our relationship when we didn't even know any better. Are y'all with me today? So so you got to have a commitment to unconditional love. That means that that, that is, when I mess up, you don't throw me away. Because how many of y'all know we're going to all mess up along the way? Third thing, there's a commitment to communication. And this one, man, I could preach a whole series. I could, I could preach half a year on communication. And I'll talk about this a little bit more next week, but communication. Your communication must be both truthful and tender, especially as you develop the skill of resolving conflict. And that's, that's critically important, guys, in the day and age we live in. Because if we're going to deal with what's happening across this country, we've got to have some crucial conversations. I said we got to have some crucial conversations. And if you if you if you if you can't have a crucial conversation, you'll never get issues truly solved in your relationships, in your family. So we got to have a commitment to communication. Some people won't talk. Some people, when they do talk, they lie. They won't share what they really feel and what they really think. And you can't get past the problem. You can't really deal with a problem if you're not going to be honest about the problem, what you feel, what you think. Because what you feel may not be truth, but it is what you feel. And I can, you can't deny that you feel it, but, but let's get some truth on the matter. The Apostle Paul got truth on the matter. Paul says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, Paul says, Paul was like Daniel. And then when Daniel was taken into Babylonian captivity, what did Daniel refuse to do? He refused to be indoctrinated into Babylonian culture. He refused to eat that food that was not a part of his dietary restrictions. He remained true to his God. He prayed uh, to his God even when he was given a mandate by the king not to. All right. But Paul says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, but for the cause of Christ. I dropped all of that and let my relationship with Christ 
trump my ethnicity and my and my and my cultural upbringing. So if we're going to if we're going to be people who are dealing with our dysfunctionality, we got to first of all. Uh, commit to selflessness. We got to commit to unconditional love. We got to commit to communication, and we'll talk some more about that on next week. Fourth thing we got to do: we got to commit to Christ. And this one is right in the middle of, of these seven because this is the most important one. commitment to Christ. This commitment again uh, stands right in the middle of this acronym of success because Jesus Christ must be at the very center of our family life. In all aspects, that's church family, this nation is a family, your family of origin. We got to keep Christ in the very center of it. Amen. Go to right quick to uh, uh, to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, right quick. Hurry, hurry, hurry. And I'm going to stop right here because I'm going to pick up on next week. This one is too important not to not to grind on a little bit, a little bit more. We got to kind of dig with the surface. OK. Amen. Ephesians chapter number four, verse number 17. Christ must be at the very center of family and marriage and our relationship with each other before we can have a truly happy and successful family that rids itself of dysfunctionality. Watch what Paul says as he writes to the church at Ephesus. Read us read with the Lord's authority. I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Next verse, let's read. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. Next verse says this, read. Uh, They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Next verse says, but this isn't what you learned about Christ. Next verse. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Next verse says what? Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. And instead, watch this. And I'm going to stop on this one. Let the spirit do what? Renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Let the spirit renew your thoughts and your attitude. Look at the person that's closer to you and say, let the spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Listen to me, guys. If we're going to solve the dysfunctionality in our family, we got to allow the spirit to renew our thoughts and our attitudes. We cannot allow our culture and our ethnicity to control our thoughts and our attitude. If you're going to be biblical, we got to be biblical. If you're going to be a Christian, be a Christian. If you're going to run for Jesus, you got to run for him all the way. You can't go halfway. They used to sing that song uh, about uh, about uh, about uh, ninety nine and a half won't do. Y'all remember that? You run, you, you know, when you're running for Jesus, ninety nine and a half just won't do. You got to be fully sold out. If you're going to be a transformative agent here, amen, in this perilous time that we're living in. Jesus gave his life so that we could have kingdom impact in this world. Let's deal with the dysfunctionality that's in our family. And let's let it start with us. Let it start with us. Amen. Let each one of us make a conscious decision that we're going to let God's word rule and reign in our life. Would you bow before a word of prayer?